last year. We are almost a year on from that and you're still fighting. Now the government has defied the orders of the upper house. There are re repeated orders for these documents and they won't provide them, including for the curfew documents. So, so we're in a very strange zone when government is, you know, flagrantly, deliberately ignoring the orders of one of the houses of parliament. Hello everyone and welcome to season five, episode one of The People's Project. I am joined here today by David Davis and we're going to be going through what happens when a government that is meant to be transparent and accountable refuses to give up the information behind their decisions. So thank you for joining me today, David. Pleasure, Emily. First time on the show? It is indeed and I'm very pleased to be here. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go through a topic of interest at the moment. Uh, so everything that people are sort of talking about is around the lack of transparency, the lack of accountability in this government. So we're gonna go right to the heart of that with the Freedom of Information Act and how the government is meant to disclose their decision-making and what's going on at the moment with a few that you've got going on. So for those who haven't dealt with FOIs before, we're gonna go through a couple of the basics and we'll go from there. Thank you for joining me today, David. Now, you've spent quite a bit of time in Parliament. I have indeed. And you've been in government previously, haven't you? I have. I was in uh, Health Minister between 2010 and 2014. Oh, so of all the things, you were actually Health Minister. So when you, we start talking about health advice... I know about it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start with the absolute basics for people. Freedom of information. What is an FOI? An FOI is a, a process that's created by law to provide information that government makes decision by. Um, so the idea is that people are entitled, the community is entitled, to see the information that governments use to make decisions. Transparency is behind it and the idea that by opening things up you'll get better decision making, more honest decision making, uh, and the quality of the decisions for the community's benefit will be better. Um, obviously, some FOIs are of a type that is very personal, it relates to someone's health record, but other FOIs relate to government decisions on a broader front, and they're the ones I mainly uh, work with. Okay, fantastic. Now, from that perspective, we can sort of say, all right, most things that the government does, the decisions they make, uh, whatever they are using to inform those decisions, under the Freedom of Information Act, those should be available to the public then. So pretty much everything should be available. The Act starts with the presumption that information should be available. There are exemptions and exceptions, but they're meant to be very defined. Yeah, wonderful. So how does an FOI actually work? So let's say the information is there, you know what you want, how do, how do you get that? You might want one document, you might know it exists, and you might then put an FOI in. And that um, FOI, very simply, you know, you would pay your fee, your, your $30 roughly fee, and it would go into the relevant department or government agency and they would have a, a period of 45 days to provide that document for you. Okay, so it goes by department. So you have to know who you're asking for what. Yep. Okay. If it's an education-related thing, you'd ask the Department of Education. If it's a health thing, you'd ask the Department of Health. So does each one have its own FOI department? Yes, they do. Okay, so that sort of, I guess, would make it easier for getting information and theoretically make it easier to be transparent. Well, the FOI officers under statute are meant to be independent of the department and act independently. Really? And that's an important point and you can remind them of that during the process. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. So 
Who can ask for an FOI? So you can, you know the department, you any know the Any citizen cost. can ask for an FOI? Anyone. So mm. anyone can go online, any department, if there is a question that you want answered, there is information you are seeking, you can go online and lodge an FOI with, say, the Department of Education. You, you could ask for a document or, or the matters, documents surrounding a particular matter. Mm -hmm. um, the department will come back to you and tell you if it's too big, it yep. might be just one document, might be quite small. Yep might be a, a larger request. Okay, so is there a difference between what I could ask, for example, doing an FIY and what or any member of the public and what you could ask as a politician? Not in theory. Anyone can ask for information and ask for the documents. And indeed, sometimes there's, there's provision for the creation of tables and information of, you know, in a tabular form for certain topics. Okay, fantastic. So, one thing I do want to ask, because I think that this is a bit of a grey area for people, is we see every time that Parliament sits, you all get to ask questions in question time. Now, this happens for both houses where you'll ask ministers varying things. Um, and how is that different to an FOI in question time? Well, a question time question is is really, a, you know, you're asking about a piece of information fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, is this true? Is this not true? What is the number? Um, an FOI is actually fundamentally based on seeking a document. Okay. So some piece of paper, as it were, yep. or an electronic document that exists. Okay. So I guess the difference in question time, we'll see you ask... Uh, Yala Pulford, for example, who's someone that you go for quite regularly. She is the small business minister. A lot of people watching it will now know exactly who she is. Uh, you know, asking her about, did you consider certain things when making a decision? Will she take certain actions? Will you take a certain action? Uh, have you met with a group? You know, in, in recent times, the, the Yala Pulford example is a good one. Um, we've asked her to meet with different groups in the population that have been impacted by COVID, small yep. businesses that have been impacted, um, different, the events sector, for example, is a classic where they've yep. really suffered badly. Yeah, they had a great protest outside of Parliament, though. That was very good. They've, they've got, a, uh, they've got a, a natural access to all sorts of events equipment. Yes, no, it was very good. So we've kind of gone through the basics and explaining how freedom of information is meant to work. Now, this is important because this is how government is built to work. It is meant to be transparent. It is meant to be accountable. If there are decisions being made for the public on their behalf or with their money, there should be a way for the public to access that information, except in certain circumstances, which are meant to be extremely limited and extremely difficult to apply. However, this government seems to have a bit of a penchant for applying those a little bit too liberally. So now we're going to go through a couple of examples of what the Liberals have been doing over the last few months with freedom of information and how the government has been avoiding producing the documents. So let's go through some real life examples of freedom of information requests that haven't quite gone to plan. This was something that I thought was really important to talk about with people not only to demonstrate how the process can work when it goes in varying directions, but also to show that a lot of the Liberals behind the scenes have been doing work for months trying to get this information out of the Andrews government without any success and to go through some of the main ones that would be of public interest. So today we're going to talk about the FOI that you, David, have submitted around the decision for the curfew that was made in 2020. Yep. So this is the exact wording. So all documents involved with 
or that informed the decision by the state government to impose a curfew commencing 8pm Sunday 2nd of August 2020. Now, you, what you did was you sent the exact same FOI to both the Department of Premier and Cabinet and the Department of Health. Very similar FOIs to the, the two of them, uh, seeking the documents on which they'd relied. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what you were asking for. You were asking for documents or anything related to informing that particular decision, which you would think would be relatively... Pretty simple. narrow, isn't it? it, it Pretty it, sharp. It was, they made a decision for 8, 8 o'clock on Sunday the 2nd. Which happened to be hours after it got announced. Um, so, but I mean, from that perspective, it's worth noting that this is one decision, you're only seeking documents or supporting evidence in relation to that. The theory would be that it would be quite narrow. So a quick note would be that if your FOI is too broad, it's too hard to fulfill, but we'll go through that. So we sent it to two departments, one to Premier and Cabinet, the other one to the Department of Health. Department of Premier and Cabinet is obviously Dan Andrews' department. So let's go through what happened with that one. So you've sent the FOI in, that's what happened, and they found one document relevant to your request. A single document, just one, and they said you can't have it. That's as clean as I can make it. So not only did they say you can't have it, but I just want to emphasize why. <laughs> in the actual response, I've got the letter here. The exemption has been applied to the document in full on the basis that it reflects some, but not all of the considerations factored into the decision. And as such, its disclosure would be contrary to public interest as it may lead to confusion and ill-informed debate. So the government has pulled privilege over this document. So this is one of the only circumstances where freedom of information is not free. So they've said you can't have it. They've said legal privilege. They've said 30 part one, you, you know, basically saying this is a, a document that is not in the public interest that it be released. Now, many would disagree. Yes. Um, and I think on the case of the Premier's document, we're going to lose. Okay, so let's go... They're going to win and they're not going to release it. So let's go over what is privilege and how can it be applied. So there's a couple of different ways that they can stop it under, under privilege. They can, the government can claim a number of things. They can either say it's too great and too much work to do this, mm -hmm. very hard if there's one document only. They can say that it's a working document and shouldn't be released because it's not in the public interest. They can say a whole range of other things. It's a, you, you know, it could be a trade secret or a, a financial document. These are the sorts of things they can say. Or legal privilege. And this one, I think, is going to fall under legal privilege. So what happened when you got this response? What did you do then? We went to OVIC. OVIC wasn't able to handle it in the time. We then went to um, the VCAT. So this has gone to VCAT and it's in the VCAT processes. And, um, you know, essentially VCAT will, you know, make a decision on this or, or will be told that Section 32, the legal privilege is probably going to trump this particular one. So let's go back really briefly. What's OVIC? OVIC is the Office of the Victorian Information Commissioner. So it's meant to be there to assist and review certain government decisions where a, a decision is made on an FOI. You can go to OVIC and get, a, in effect, a second view or a second opinion. Yep. And OVIC will go to the department and say, actually, how did you make that decision? Explain it to us. And OVIC is sometimes quite good. They actually do a good job. They are overwhelmed. 
And, you know, there's a very damaging report released by AVIC a, a year or two ago that shows a deterioration in the performance of FOI over the last five years. Really? That's a interesting. A shocking report that shows less and less as a percentage of cases are being satisfied. Really? So basically the report from OVIC shows that over the last five years, under normal circumstances, most FOIs would be fulfilled, but there's been a notable trend where they're... A deterioration. A deterioration where FOIs are lodged, but they're not actually being fulfilled and the, the information is not being provided. Yes. And that was notable enough they were able to produce a report. Sure. That and, is... and it's a very damning report about the government's performance across all of its portfolios and agencies and a decline in the percentage of cases that are being satisfied. That's that's incredible. I didn't know that. It's actually it's actually very worrying. It's a, a real sign of a secret government, a government that is determined to, you know, make um, the release of information more and more difficult. Which I mean, if you're an elected official making decisions for the public, spending public money, you would think... You should be transparent. You should be at least minimally transparent. The fact that there is a notable trend, I think, speaks volumes uh, across all departments. And let's be honest, anyone who lives in Melbourne's probably not as shocked about that right now as they might have been a couple of years ago. But it's obviously a very worrying trend. So to go back to what you were saying, this is now also gone to VCAT. So you've gone to OVIC to challenge it. This has now gone to VCAT. This is at VCAT. And in the case of VCAT, I, you know, as I've said, I, I think we're going to lose this case. Mm -hmm. um, the Section 32 claim will be too strong, which is legal privilege. So what's clear is that the government's document at Premier's was a legal opinion. So about the curfew. Let's let's just go back to this. And just to summarize, so when you did a freedom of information request to the Department of Premier and Cabinet about documents that informed the curfew, which you would think would be more than a single page document to begin with, and it is worth noting that 8 p.m. was when the actual directive was signed but it was announced much much earlier in the day this we saw this get challenged in the curfew court case about whether or not it was actually appropriately considered the only document that's come out will be likely blocked because it falls under legal privilege meaning that the only advice that they had from dpc that they can find was a legal document it wasn't anything else that's right and probably a document informing the government about whether it could declare a curfew. Now, I obviously haven't seen that document. Yep. It's not been released to me. It's not been released to the community. Um, but it's clear that they're claiming legal professional privilege, and that's a very strong claim and a very hard one to, to beat. That's that's incredible. I mean, just, just to emphasise this as well, we saw it come out that there was the merry-go-round of who ordered the curfew, you know, was it the health officer, was it the police commissioner, was it Dan Andrews? And, I mean, it pretty much came out that it was a bureaucratic decision as opposed mm. to anything else. And It clearly wasn't a decision that was driven by the chief commissioner. It wasn't dr driven by the chief health officer. It's come out of the somewhere in the bureaucracy or out of the Premier's office or out of the Premier himself, who knows, mm. um, that decision has been made. They've gone away, I reckon, I haven't seen the document, but I reckon they've gone away and said we want a legal opinion as to whether we can declare a curfew. Interesting. And all we've got to show is a single page that they won't 
give up to show for Single it. Single document. Um, they won't release the details of it. They say it's not in the public interest because of particularly Section 32. So are we saying a single page or a single document? A single document. Single document. Single okay. document. Yeah, just to clarify. All right. So let's go to what happened with the other FOI. So this is the one that went to the Department of Health, not the Department of Premier and Cabinet. So essentially the exact same request. We're asking for all documents involved with or inform the decision for the curfew that got made. And this one obviously went to the Department of Health. Um, so what's happened with this one? Well, this one is a, an interesting document. Again, the, um, the situation is OVIC was not able to deal with it in appropriate time, but the department claims that it's too much work to find the documents. Too much work. It'll divert the resources of the department. Um, Section 25A says the work involved in processing the request would substantially and unreasonably divert the resources of the department. So that means there's so much work, so many documents, we can't possibly find it. So, you know, I, I don't think this is true. Um, the truth of the matter is that somebody in the department had a role in this. Somebody made the set of decisions. Somebody would have had some documents. We know there's documents because they've told us there's too many. Um, and at the same time, um, they've used those documents to inform the curfew decision. And you'd expect reasonably that a human or a small number of humans can only look at so many documents. Yeah, which which does make sense. And I think it's worth mentioning that from an FOI perspective, this can happen. If your FOI request is far too broad, the department is within whatever department you request it from. They're within their rights to say, um, this is too much. You need to narrow the scope of your request uh, and give you a reasonable time frame in which to do so. So I know that that is something that can happen. Uh, I, for myself, have seen some incredibly broad FOI requests that would never happen. It would take months of work. And so that is important. However, if DPC is relying on one document... Health this over here. Health like. over here. If it got signed off at 8pm on that night and it came up in the curfew court case, which I watched completely end to end, that the woman who was the health officer who signed off on it at the time, who was standing in for someone on leave, she wouldn't even normally have signed off these documents. And to be clear, she said under oath that if it wasn't her signing it off, she's sure it could have been someone else and she had no idea how they picked who signed off what directive. So this random sort of health officer in our department who would normally never sign off on these signed off on probably one of the greatest restrictions of human rights this state has ever seen um she did so hours after the premier had announced it claiming and the entire point of the court case was to assess whether or not she had actually appropriately considered the human rights implications and the balance of the effects i find it very interesting that she got given documents from a health department, DPC had one, and they're saying now that there's too many in the health department. It's bizarre. She obviously um, did sign it off, and it was impactful. Um, you know, at the heart of this, my view is five and a half million people are locked down. They're entitled to know why, and they're entitled to know you know, the background of the decision. They're entitled to know the truth about this lockdown. 
the truth about the obvious narrowing of human rights and control of, uh, you know, five and a half million people. What on earth is there that they won't, don't want to show? What on earth do they have to hide that they're not wanting to provide this information? It is actually a very narrow, all documents involved with all that informed the decision by the state government to impose a curfew. One action. There must be documents behind it. We know under the the, um, the Public Health and Wellbeing Act, you've got to look at the human rights issues. Yep. We know that you've got to look at proportionality. We know you've got to do this transparently and accountably. The Act actually requires all those things in its principles. Yep. So the public health officer, the chief health officer or their delegate has to make that decision in the light of the Act, which is the Act that gives them the power to do so. Yep. Now, they might be informed by other things, of course, and they should be, um, but they've got to make those decisions in that way. And there's a brief that's provided to them. The government doesn't want to provide those publicly either. And you'd imagine that this FOI would capture those briefs that are provided. Um, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, why on earth can't people see this information? What is What is so secretive about it? And I mean, you know, if you're going to get up and literally daily and say that we are relying on the best of health advice, this is all for everyone's safety, this is necessary, why can't we see anything? And not even, not, not maybe not even everything, something, anything. And, and you know what, even worse than this, the parliament put a documents order in yep. on the curfew and the government came back and said, here's a list of documents. The first part of the list was the public health orders themselves, which are already public, so yep. they provided those. And then there's a list of about half a dozen, six or seven new documents, and they said you can't have those, executive privilege. So, you know, this is bizarre. They've provided a list over in Parliament, but on this occasion they say it's um, going to divert the resources of the Parliament, so or the, of the Department. So that's nonsense. And I just want to take a moment to mention this. How's the goal on them turning around and saying that the directives are the public health advice? Well, <laughs> well, it's clearly not. They're clearly not. The directives are not the advice. They are the formal legal instrument that actually implements the, the, the law. Yep. Um, but there must be information behind it. Yep. I don't believe the Chief Health Officer wakes up one morning and types up the thing de novo without information behind it. Yep. Yep. I just... the. The audacity of the government to turn around and belittle the concerns of the wider public by saying, oh, we release all the directives, they're online, you can see them. The directives are not the health advice. That should be the end decision result from what you've viewed. What people want to see is the instruments. That's the legal instrument. That's yeah, all the legal is. instrument. What they mm. want to see is the information that informed that instrument. Why did you decide Why that this is... and how and what did you consider and how did you balance this? And what did you consider is a big one. We've seen this come up in payout quite a bit where uh, questions have been asked, particularly of people like Molino, saying, was there an assessment done on the impacts on children when you shut schools? Was there actually a cost-benefit analysis done on how it will affect children's mental health, their physical and psychological development? Has there been a cost-benefit analysis done? And he said yes. So let's see it. So let's see it. You would think, if nothing else, that that would be a reasonable request. So let's just speak, let's go back to where we were with the Department of Health. So the Department of Health have come back and said, too much has come up, which 
Great, seems like there was lots of information informing the decision. Can't wait to see it. You are now challenging this and taking it to VCAT. So we were already in VCAT because they'd been <coughs> slow. So we went there on what's called a deemed refusal. If a department doesn't act, you can actually go to VCAT and get an order to make them act. So we started that process. Now, um, so just just to clarify, so you put an FOI into the Department of Health. They refused to fulfil it they, in time. They, they dragged their feet. They dragged their feet. So we went to VCAT. Now, yep. they've then made a decision and said, um, no, you can't have the documents because um, it's too much to divert the department. Yeah. But it's still live at VCAT and this will be considered. So there's been a hearing and shortly there'll be a compulsory conference. The normal hearings, the directions hearings are public. A compulsory conference is where the parties get together privately uh, to discuss it. So we have a compulsory conference coming on the 16th of this month. So it's quite soon and we'll have the chance to ask many of these questions. You know, I don't think that's the trade secret as to the sorts of questions we'd ask at a compulsory conference. Um, but they are private matters. And if we don't get satisfaction there, we will, we will proceed further. Okay, so what would be the step after that, just to explain to people? So you're taking this to VCAT because they were too slow to act. As a result, you're basically having to force their hand in VCAT. When that happened, they said, no, no, it's too much information. And so you're now in a process where you'll sit down in VCAT and... And have a discussion. There'll be a, a, a VCAT commissioner at a, at a compulsory conference and the commissioner will be there as a, almost as an independent umpire. Yep. Um, and there'll be discussions, they'll structure the discussion. And, um, you know, now a compulsory conference is, you know, in one sense a no regrets thing because there's no, out, you know, you're not bound by the outcome. Neither party is bound by the outcome. Okay. So you can go along, you don't lose anything. You can still preserve your rights to go for a full hearing. Uh, but on some occasions, they do work. And I, and I think VCAT actually, to be fair to them, have actually done a very good job in a lot of these compulsory conferences. Okay. They actually sometimes will, you know, in a quiet way, say to the government, really? This is not going to go well when it gets to... So sometimes there are deals struck at a compulsory conference. You might get 80% of what you want or 70% of what you want, but you think, well, look, I'll have that as a compromise and, and we can live with that. So that's... That's sometimes how it works. Yeah. Other times you walk away from a compulsory conference and you think, well, that, that's two hours or three hours of my life. I'll never get back. <laughs> um, and then it goes to a full hearing. Yeah. Okay. So just to be clear, this is something that can happen. So this is something that you and the Liberals, I believe it's mostly you and Ed who really work quite heavily on the VCAT areas. Yes. Um, so for those who don't know, uh, Ed O'Donoghue, who is the Shadow Attorney General, and so going through and basically saying to the government, we're not just going to take no for an answer. We're going to take you as far as we possibly can through the system to try and force you to give us the information. That's right. Um, and we, we, will, we will pursue this one because we think, you know, there can't be a much more impactful government decision than locking down five and a half million people. We think is clearly in the public interest that all of these documents are out in the public domain mm -hmm. and we'll pursue them. Fantastic. And I think uh, this is really important and something that I've known was going on behind the scenes but really wanted to also give some airtime. This curfew happened in August last year. We are almost a year on from that and you're still fighting for these now, documents. I'll, I'll have a look and tell you what date the... Um, 
the um, FOI request went in, but I think it's uh, I think it went in in September. It was quite it was quite soon. Yeah, it was very soon after. So you're you're quite correct about the slowness here, and this is government departments more than anything. Mm -hmm. VCAT, in my experience, have actually been quite good on a lot of these um, hearings. Mm -hmm. They try to move things as swiftly as they can, um, but there are tricks that the government agencies can use and they can string things out for a long time. So just to be really clear for people watching this, the curfew happened in August. The request for the documents went in in a reasonably recent time yeah, frame. Yeah. So let's say September, October. It's now July the following year and you are still fighting in VCAT fighting for these documents. And this is something that, you know, I have sort of followed loosely over the time, but for the most part, it's just been bureaucratic red tape stopping the process. But I think it's so important that people understand this has been going on for north of eight months now, fighting to get these most basic documents, even a single page, anything, and they just won't give them up. No, they're determined to delay and block the release of these documents. And I think it's wrong. I think it you know, actually subverts the intent of the Act, which is about open government and transparency and the public's right to know. Yep. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's important to fight these cases because if you don't, you know, they, they get away with it. Yep, 100%. And that is exactly what nobody wants. Nobody wants them to be able to do what they're doing or really ever see what's happening ever again. I... Um, I'll divert a little bit here. You've got your uh, Public Health and Wellbeing Act amendment for the state of emergency powers that is, I believe, getting debated again later this year? We hope so. We hope to bring it back and, and have a debate. Uh, this is an act drafted by Ed O'Donoghue, introduced by Georgie Crozier, and it's an act that seeks to make transparent these decisions or the material behind public health decisions. So the public health orders very important and you know they are informed by briefs behind them now we say those briefs should be made public and that's what the bill seeks to do yep. it sets up a, an arrangement where sark could the scrutiny of acts and regulations committee could you know decide differently in some cases and that that would be perfectly applicable if there was some section of a document that was for some reason yeah you know maybe that's legitimate but um, essentially it begins with the presumption that these things should be public. Yep, so the amendment that you've put forward, or the bill you've put forward that would amend the Public Health and Wellbeing Act is about a page long, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's very simple, very straight to the point. It would basically put in legislation that they specifically must table the briefs, that there would be no way around it. Yep, yep. There is a mechanism for SARC to sort of say no on very rare yep. occasions, but in general, the briefs would be tabled. Now, the government has defied the orders of the upper house. There are re repeated orders for these documents, and they won't provide them, including for the curfew documents. So, so we're in a very strange zone when government is, you know, flagrantly, deliberately ignoring the orders of one of the houses of parliament. So this is something that I want to touch on very briefly because this has formed uh, part of the wording that I've used for petitions to Parliament calling for the documents that informed the latest lockdown because there have been times where motions have been moved in the Upper House which 
basically essentially is the directions a, a direction so mm. to explain what a motion is to people it, it is basically if it should pass and you have enough votes it is basically a directive to the government to do something from the parliament yeah, motions are different types. You, you, you know, sometimes there'll be a motion just expressing a view. Yeah. But these are slightly different from that. They're actually orders for documents. Yeah. And there's a section in the standing orders which structures this, and you know a list is required, and they got to come back with the documents. So, so you know, the the curfew documents we asked for these to be tabled in the parliament. They came back and said, "Here's the orders that are already public. You can have those." And here's a schedule of other documents, and you can't have those. So what happened, and I believe that these have been voted on and requested at least twice by the upper house, where basically it actually passed a vote where people said, no, we want these documents to be tabled. I think this was back in October or November. So, so there's at least three that have gone through. An early one, which was the previous um, uh, orders and seeking the... Um, briefs behind those. Then there was the curfew one. Yep. And then finally, uh, there's a prospective one, which actually says, as you bring down a public health order, within 48 hours, you sh should table the briefs that support that. So and they've ignored that. So just to clarify, all three of these things are basically directives that are legal instruments that the upper house of Parliament has said to the government, we want this. Mm -hmm. And the people running the state have said... No, no, they've thumbed their nose. Yeah. Even though this is this is meant to be a legal process, this is meant to be a democratic process, this is... They're, meant, they're not meant to be able to ignore Parliament. They are essentially ignoring Parliament. They are. They're thumbing their nose at the Parliament and thereby at the democratic process. I mean, parliamentarians are not there for themselves. They're there as representatives of their electorates. So we represent... A, a, a group of people, in my case, about half a million in Southern Metro. Um, but, you know, the truth is that we're there representing the people and we're making decisions on behalf of the people. And you would think that there would be an interest in accountability for that, but apparently not. The one thing I do want to touch on of those three, one of them was related to the curfew specifically. Now, from memory, they did come back and basically say everyone kept pushing for it. They did come back and basically say, um, here's a bunch of the briefs. Here's a couple of the documents, but... No briefs. No briefs. No briefs. They said, here are the public health orders that are already public. They listed those and said, here's a copy. Get them off the net. Um, and then they said, here's a list of documents, and you can't have them. And this took seven months? It took a long time. Yeah, so it took seven months from Parliament saying... We want this. Do what you're meant to do. They basically had to then be harassed by Parliament to do it. And the end result was, here's a bunch of documents that are public anyway. Here's the ones we've identified that aren't public. You can't have any of them, Correct. including multiple human rights assessments. Correct. And even a policy document. One of them, from recollection, is a policy document. They describe it as a policy document and they say you can't have that. What's a policy document doing informing a curfew? Well, they might have looked at different options. Okay. I, I'm, 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 I haven't seen it. No, so no, that's fair enough. I, I don't know. I, I, they obviously have the advantage because they've seen it and we haven't, but yeah. um, that's what it's listed as. Fantastic. That's uh... So to touch on that really briefly, my understanding is that 
were you following a process to challenge that decision? Uh, we'll have more to say. We've raised the matter in the parliament. We've raised the matter with the um, the Attorney General, who was the leader of the government in the upper house, and we'll continue to do that. Yeah. Um, but we will likely take further steps. Fantastic. So, because my understanding is there is a very narrow but possible pathway where the government has said, no, you can't have these documents, that you can request that that decision be reviewed about whether they've actually done that appropriately. Well, inside there's a complex and, and actually never used in Victoria, although routinely used in New South Wales, there's a process of appointing an arbiter, an independent arbiter. And the Victorian standing orders in this case are copied from, not quite copied, but modelled on New South Wales. And they have an independent barrister who will look at documents and say, actually, no, that the government's right, that should be secret. And no, no, that one should be released. So they've actually got an independent process. We think that's pretty fair. It's actually in the Victorian standing orders. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, we, we would certainly invite the government to avail themselves of that process. Interesting. So this is uh, not quite over yet. Not at all. So we've got probably, I think it's about 14 months until the next election. We are still chasing documents from decisions made a year ago, but you can't imagine over the next 12 months that this is necessarily going to improve for them if they keep refusing to release them. We think this is a very important area. I mean, the transparency of government and the the ability of people to see government as open is is really the basis of our democracy, we think. And, you know, weakening that is a big mistake. Um, and that's what the government is doing. A secrecy seems to be their overriding commitment. And we think that weakens our democracy on quite a wide front. So we're, you know, we, we're very opposed to this approach and we intend to keep fighting for a big range of documents because that's how government decisions are made and the people have a right to know. Fantastic. So just to clarify, the things that will still come up over the next couple of months, uh, we'll get an update from you on what happens with the FOI with the Department of Health and what happens yep. in VCAT. Uh, we will possibly, or hopefully, see your bill get debated again. Uh, the last debate was very interesting, if nothing else, around amending the Public Health and Wellbeing Act to force them to table those. Well, the bizarre idea that the government had that the public health orders themselves are the briefings. <laughs> well, it's 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 absurd. It was one of the most ridiculous arguments I think I've ever heard. And listening to people in the government get up and call people who were saying that they weren't transparent conspiracy theorists. I mean, I, I spent an inordinate amount of my time watching government and parliament and the level of disrespect that that publicly shows towards the public, people's intellect, this stuff is on record. Mm. How dare you say that the public who want to see the information that informed your decision are conspiracy theorists and claim that the legal instruments that say this is the rules was how you made your decision? What a ridiculous notion. Well, especially when you've got another government department saying there's one document but you can't have it and then another government saying department saying there's so many documents, you can't have it. For the exact same decision. <laughs> I mean, what a mess. What a mess. So we'll, we'll see things hopefully progress over the next couple of months. I mean, there's a, the only thing we can do is just keep fighting this. Um, I, my understanding is that you're in VCAP for a number of other things 
with the government as well. Many. Mm. Quite familiar with VCAT at this point. Uh, look, and, and I, I should say that um, I'm respectful of, of VCAT. I think they do a very good job. It's they've, They're one of the areas of government, that the regulation list, that I think has continued to work well through a lot of this um, difficult COVID time. A lot of other things have just stopped and frozen. They actually developed and innovated new processes. They are using technology differently, and this is entirely sensible. Really, what's required with a with a regulation list like this, uh, you know, a, a, a mini court as VCAT is, you know, is for stuff to be easily able to be got on, for decisions to be made in a timely way. And, and they are making very good efforts to do that. That's good. That's good to hear. And the fact that there is an instrument available for people uh, to pursue things in terms of not just getting that no, too hard, too much, etc. So, We've got the three things coming up. We've got, we'll hear about what happens in BCAT. We'll hopefully see that bill get debated again in a way that will be very public uh, and it will force the government to either have to vote um, and vote against it or it will force the crossbench to vote against it, which would be very interesting. And um, we've also got the fact that I hopefully the documents that you're chasing now that they've claimed privilege over that were requested by Parliament, there's a way that we can pursue that as well. Indeed. And we, we will we will continue to press for these documents because it is in the public interest. You know, what on earth do they have to hide? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming in and having a chat with me today. It's a huge pleasure, Emily. Mm. Fantastic. Well, I hope that this has helped explain to people a little bit about what you should be hearing, what you should be able to access for information, and what is currently getting hidden. We are currently being governed by a group that are notably the worst for a very long period of time for transparency, for accountability, despite what they may say. And despite their baseless accusations, most of the public are not so stupid as to realise that they are not being transparent and they're not being accountable. And the best thing we can do from this point forward, particularly between now and the election, is to keep going and keep pressuring them to be transparent and to provide information. For those who are interested, I strongly encourage anyone who wants to go and lodge an FOI of your own, even a small one, try and get a document, use the democratic process for yourself, see what you can get out of it and learn that this is how things are meant to work. And if not, we need a new government. In all honesty, I think the reason you're getting lots of views and the reason you're getting such a big following is that people are, are rightly saying, you know, am I getting the best possible information? Am I, uh, you know, are we asking questions? Having nuanced conversations and getting to the bottom of matters is what we're all about here. And you should watch our show on the Discernible platform, discernible.io, and also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Would you recommend people come on the show as 100%, a guest? 100% I would recommend it, Matt. It's, um, it's objective, it's balanced, you, you get a chance, not too often you get a long form interview where you can actually, you know, hopefully people can hear why you have a position on something. So that's, a, that's refreshing.